right. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to open them up because I'm going to be I'm going to be moving through a large part of Hebrews chapter 11, and I want you to see some different things there. We're going to take our time through this chapter um, because it's such a rich. All the Bible is, of course, but we're going to take our time through this chapter. Uh, but I'm going to jump around and, and show you some different things from it this morning. Well, we've been in Hebrews for quite some time now, and we come probably to the chapter that is its not the most important necessarily, but that is maybe the most well-known. It's called the faith chapter. It's called the, it's, some have called it the hall of fame of those who have faith, or, or the honor roll of the faithful. Hebrews chapter 10 goes through example of example of men and women who had faith. And so today we're going to talk about faith. And it goes without saying that faith is important in the Christian life. In fact, that might be the understatement of the millennia. Faith is important to the Christian life. Of course it is. But just how important sometimes might be lost on us or whether or not we have faith, we can just kind of assume that our faith is strong when maybe it's not. Faith is like oxygen. What oxygen is to our physical life, faith is to our spiritual life. When oxygen is low, low levels of oxygen lead to fatigue and weakness for our physical bodies. And if there's no oxygen, eventually that leads to death. Well, spiritually, if our faith is weak, then our spiritual life is fatigued and weak as well. When our, when our faith is strong, then our spiritual life is strong. So faith is massively important and Hebrews chapter 11 is a great place to go in order to look at what faith is and then to see examples of men and women who had it and what they did. We know that true saving faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift from God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So grace through faith, salvation by grace through faith, all of it is a gift from God, including faith. We know that uh, this is a divine gift. It's something that God grants by the work of his Holy Spirit. We are saved by faith. Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes or who has faith. We are justified by faith, which means that we are we are counted righteous in God's sight by faith. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We receive the, 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 the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith. It says that, that Jesus became a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And we can go on and on and on and on. Faith is massively important. The Christian life is a life that is lived by faith. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, is a life of faith. I live by faith in the Son of God. So faith is important. And faith is not irrational, right? It is based on faith the word of God. It's based on what God has said. 
It's not, it's not irrational. It's not mainly subjective feelings. It's based on objective truth on what God has said. Paul says in Galatians 3 that you received the Spirit by hearing with faith, by hearing God's message with faith. And that's how we grow in faith as well, is based on what God says. It's, faith, it's based on God's sure word from heaven. It's based on the revelation that God has given to us in the scriptures. And so we have faith for the things that God has promised. In other words, we have an objective standard. And we're not, faith is not mainly based on subjective thoughts and feelings, but on what God has said to us. So we have faith because God has spoken and God's word does not change. Praise God. God's word doesn't change. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We have faith in the scriptures because the God who speaks only speaks truth. Psalm 119 says, the sum total of your word, O God, is truth. God only speaks truth, he cannot lie, and he never fails. So as we come to Hebrews 11, we see that this divine gift is powerful. And what it does is it makes a a tremendous impact on our lives here and now. So faith doesn't just hold out waiting to to be taken to heaven. It's not just kind of a a pie-in-the-sky sort of faith, I believe I'm going to go to heaven someday, nor is it a wishful thinking sort of thing. Nor does it deny reality, the way things actually are in the world. True faith is tough and it perseveres. And it makes sense that it's tough and perseveres because it's a gift from God. It's something God gives. It's not something that's innate in you that you just work up. God gives this gift. And so it's tough and it perseveres. It causes Christians to run with endurance to the end and preserves the soul. Remember, prior to chapter 11 was the last two verses of chapter 10, which said this, My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but we are of those who have faith and preserve the soul. So faith is something that doesn't shrink back. It keeps going. It endures. It, 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 it perseveres to the preservation of the soul. And we see that in chapter 12. After we get through the, the faith chapter, chapter 11, chapter 12 begins with this. After, after chronicling all these saints... Men and women who had faith in God, chapter 12 begins with, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these men and women who have gone before us, and the list is bigger for you and I than it was for these men and women, than these people. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Christ. The Christian life is lived by faith, a faith that does not shrink back. It perseveres and endures to the end and preserves the soul. 
scattered through the book of Hebrews are some of the most breathtaking views of the beauty of Christ. I mean, without question. I mean, we see in the book of Hebrews a Christ who is glorious, powerful, saves perfectly, right? It's perfect sacrifice. He is a perfect high priest. He is a perfect mediator between God and sinful man. He, is, uh, he gives a better um, covenant, the new covenant, which has better promises, All of this, Jesus is better. The covenant is better that he gives. But along with the outstanding bright glimpses of Christ, the shadow of severe warnings are cast for those who neglect this great salvation, who shrink back from it. Or the picture that's given in Hebrews chapter 2 is those who drift from it. Those who have no anchor to Christ but drift from him. And let me just say, going along with the world is how you drift from Christ. Floating is how you drift from Christ. Lazy boy Christianity is how you drift from Christ. That's how it happens. So as we come to chapter 11, we see the chapter is primarily given to supply example after example of men and women of faith, the kind of faith that doesn't shrink back, the kind of faith that's a divine gift from God. And the point, I think, is to encourage these Christians, remember the Christians that this this letter was first written to, they were beleaguered by by suffering and persecution. They were tempted to revert back to Judaism because of what they were enduring for being Christians and so forth. And so this is given to them to encourage them to remain faithful, to not give up, to endure to the end. So today we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, which I think sets the stage for the rest of the chapter. If you want the kind of faith that is weighty, strong, powerful, and durable, then listen up. I want that kind of faith. I want that for you. So I want you to notice three things in these first three verses. First, the definition of faith. Second, the approval of faith. And third, the effect of faith. So definition of faith, the approval of faith, the effect of faith. Let's look at the definition of faith first. Verse one. Verse one tells us that faith grabs hold of future promises of eternal glory and joy now and sees the invisible Christ now. It's not a physical possession, nor is it physical seeing. It is faith that possesses the future and sees the invisible. It's faith that sees it, not these physical eyes, Not these physical hands. A British preacher from the 19th century said that the future and the unseen can be made real by faith. So we have the definition of faith in verse 1. And I I think this is so important for us because I think there's a lot of muddled thinking about faith. Some think that faith is merely mentally assenting to some facts about Jesus. I believe those things. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. And that is faith. That's important. It's important that we know facts, but that's not faith. Others see faith as a kind of personal force through which they can create reality. 
And that's not how faith is described here either. I'm not saying that verse one has, is all that there is to say about faith, but Hebrews 11.1, 1, I think, is the clearest definition of faith in the New Testament. Here's what it says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. First, let's just take this one at a time, each phrase. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is not the innate ability in you to arrange the future you want. As we go through Hebrews 11, it's going to be very clear. If these people had faith, they would have arranged a different future for themselves. That's what they would have done. Faith is the God-given ability to trust the future that he has promised you. Let me say that again. Faith is the God-given ability to trust in the future that he has promised. If faith was the ability to arrange our own future, all the saints in Hebrews 11 would have arranged things differently because they lived hard lives. They lived hard lives, all of them. Think of Noah. I just thought of Noah this weekend. It says Noah had faith. And he, built, he had faith in what God said, and so he built an ark. Now imagine Noah back at a time when he lived in a desert, and it probably had never rained before. And God said, you're going to need an ark because it's going to rain so much that water's going to cover all the mountains. And so Noah went to work on an ark because he had faith. He had faith. And it took him, I think it was 120 years to make this ark. In a desert, surrounded by ungodly people, no doubt mocking him to no end. But he had faith. And so he did it. He lived by faith. So faith is the God-given ability to trust in the future that God has promised. And it's important to add trusting in the future that God's promised without receiving it right now. That's going to be very clear again in Hebrews chapter 11. Without receiving it in this life. We see this in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Talking about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They had faith, but they didn't receive the things that were promised. Verse 39, at the very end of the chapter, the second to last verse, it says, and all these died. So after going through all these men and women who had faith, it says all these died. Excuse me, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So it is faith in God's promised, glorious future that these people had and that is being commended to us as the kind of faith that we want to have. This is the kind of faith that describes Abraham in verses 9 and 10. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, By faith Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He had faith looking to a future heavenly 
city. He had faith now looking to the future. Moses had this kind of faith. We see in verses 24 to 26. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He had riches at his hands. I mean, he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. All of it at his hands. And he said, the reproach of Jesus, of Christ, is way better than all the treasures of Egypt. How did he do that? He was looking forward to the reward. He had faith, this kind of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, assurance could be translated, and and actually in some translations of the Bible, it is. New New American Standard, New King James, is translated the word, translated substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Kind of like that word. If something has substance, there's something to it. Right? Well, it's weighty. If something has substance, well, it has substance. There's, there's, it's substantive. And I think the point is that faith has such confidence in what God has said about the future that there is a way of possessing it right now that changes the way that you live. Moses had such confidence in that future that he forsook all the treasures of Egypt and preferred to receive the reproach of Christ. When you think about the future inheritance that is yours in Christ, David mentioned this earlier when he prayed, does it get you fired up? Do you think about it much at all? The return of Christ, the resurrection, eternal life, the glorious inheritance, fullness of joy in the presence of God. Is that on, our, is that on your radar? Is that, I mean, is that, is that energizing and strengthening your faith? That's the kind of faith that's being commended to us today. This future glorious reality becoming so real to us now that we live a life of faith. Not that we can have our best life now, but that our best life is so much better than it could ever be now in its future. But it's so real. It's so real. Paul speaks with this kind of certainty in Romans 8.18 when he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. That's someone who, faith faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's someone who had the substance of things hoped for. The man of faith takes seriously the promises of God and lives as though he already has them, even though he can't touch them right now with his physical hands or see them with his physical eyes. He possesses them. He possesses them by faith. 
Matthew Henry, the great commentator from the 18th century, said about this verse, saving faith, he said, is a firm persuasion and expectation that God will perform all that he has promised to us in Christ. Faith is the firm assent of the soul to the divine revelation of and every part of it and sets to its seal that God is true. Amen. I ask again, how much time do you spend thinking about God's promised future for you in Christ? If you want strong faith, I would urge you to give yourself to this treasure hunt. Diving into the Bible. What does God say? What does he promise to us? You want strong faith? Give yourself to that pursuit. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's also the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not only the God-given ability to trust the future he's promised. It's also, and there's certainly overlap here, it's also the God-given ability to trust in the invisible realities he's revealed to us. I love the word conviction. We don't use the word conviction very often these days. You know, when one has convictions and speaks with conviction, they're often seen as proud and narrow-minded. And, you know, I, I was accused of that this last week, and, and I, I'm certain that I, I struggle with pride, so I, there's, there's that, of course. But, but it's the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. It means to be convinced of something, utterly convinced of something. Even though you can't see the future that God has promised, faith has the conviction of it. Not the assumption of it, the conviction of it. So there's the unseen future. But I think there's even more than this. Listen to what verse 27 says about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses left Egypt with all the Israelites, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He saw the God who's invisible. How do you do that? By faith. I don't think, it's not saying that he was given some gift to see, to see with his physical eyes things that are invisible. The point is he saw him who is invisible by faith. And had courage. Moses saw the invisible God by faith, and that's how he endured. Listen to what Peter says in verse, 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, though you have not seen him, speaking of Christ, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Do you hear the language of the conviction of things not seen? Though you don't see him, you love him. Though you don't now see him with your physical eyes, you believe in him. And you rejoice 
with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Inexpressible joy filled with glory. Do you know that Christ is here now? The conviction that Christ is here now. I was praying with someone in my office about a week and a half ago. And this brother started out the prayer and it just, it's, it just jarred me in a good way. He said, holy king, you are here now. And I was like, whoa. And it was like, you are here. Wow, you're here. The conviction of things not seen. The most stupendous reality for you and I right now is that the real and risen Christ is with us. Amen. Remember Jesus said at the, during, it's part of the Great Commission, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then he said this, and lo, I'm with you always, or, or surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Faith has the conviction that Christ, the invisible Christ, is here with us and sees him by faith. So faith is the God-given ability to trust the future he's promised and the invisible realities he's revealed. Second, we see in verse two, the approval of faith. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here because we're gonna dive into this more next week. Verse two says, for by faith, the, the people of old excuse me, received their commendation. The New American Standard says the, the, that by faith they gained approval. Have you ever thought about what it means to please God? What it means to please God? Do you live your life thinking, I really want to please God? My son Silas, we go out and we play catch with a football like all the time. Outside, inside, doesn't matter. He just, you know, I come home from work and he's got his, fo- he's got his receiving gloves on and a football waiting for me. He just, you know. Well, a couple weeks ago we were playing and, and he said, Dad, when I make a catch, I want you to put it in one of, one of these categories. It was good, it was awesome, it was stupendous, it was amazing. I mean, kind of gave, you know, he wanted, after about 10, it's like, I don't know. They're just all amazing, whatever. The point is, he loves hearing the approval of his dad. And there's something in every true child of God, we love being approved by the Father. Brothers and sisters, it is faith, this kind of faith that receives his commendation, that receives his approval. He loves it. He loves it. Now you could read this verse, verse two, as faith, that faith gives us approval or commends us with other people. Like, you know, somebody has faith, like yeah, she's the real deal. You can see that their faith is real. But I think this is talking more about God's approval, which is infinitely more important than the approval of other people. Who cares, comparatively speaking, who cares what other people think compared to what God thinks? 
Look at what, verse 5, what it says. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. His faith pleased God. How amazing is that? That's all right. His faith pleased God. God approves of, excuse me, God approves of and is pleased with this kind of faith. He loves when we take him at his word in faith. He loves when we take him at his word. You say, God has said. And every genuine son and daughter wants to hear the, the approving, affirming words of their father in heaven when he says, well done. Third, the effect of faith. So we've looked at the definition of faith, the approval of faith. Third, the effect of faith, which is in verse three. The kind of faith that has been described so far has a great effect upon our lives. And one way to describe it as you read through Hebrews 11, can I just, just a little sidebar here. Can I, I wanna urge you over the next month or so as we make our way through Hebrews 11, we're gonna take smaller chunks would you read through Hebrews 11 every day? Read through Hebrews 11 every day for the next, well, until we're done with, he, until we get through Hebrews 11. I think it'd be an amazing exercise. It'd probably take 15 minutes of your time. The kind of faith that's been described is very active. When you read through Hebrews 11, you're like, man, these people were people of action. By faith, they did things. It wasn't that by faith, they sat back and relished in how great God was. They probably did that too. But by faith, they were active. This God-given faith is like jet fuel that launches one into a life of courageous activity. John Piper, in a message on these verses said, faith lays hold on the future reward of eternal joy with God in such a way that it makes a massive difference in life here and now. And we see over and over again this phrase in Hebrews 11, by faith. And what follows is what these men and women did by faith. By faith, they did stuff. By faith, they were energized by faith. They were energized through faith. Let me just go through some of them. Verse four says, by faith, Abel offered to God a sacrifice. Verse five says, by faith, Enoch was taken up, but he walked with God as he lived here. By faith, Noah built an ark in a desert. By faith, verse eight says, Abraham went to a place that he didn't know. Verse 11 says, by faith, Sarah. Verse 20 says, by faith, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21 says, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22 says, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23 says, by faith, Moses. Verse 30 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho came down. Verse 31 says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute was rescued. 
faith moved these men and women to act, to obedience, to courageous activity. You know, Paul, at the beginning of Romans, actually at the beginning and at the end, in chapter one and in chapter 16, he has this phrase. And the phrase is the obedience of faith. He says his ministry can be summed up in this, to bring the Gentiles, to bring the non-Jewish people in the world to the obedience of faith. Obedience that comes from faith. And that's what we see in Hebrews 11. The obedience of faith, courageous obedience that comes from faith. I love the verse in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, that says, those, the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. Or some, I think New King James says, they will carry out great exploits. They will stand firm and carry out great exploits. It's interesting that toward the end of Hebrews 11, the great exploits people did by faith are described in ways that can fit into two categories. One way is that it's obvious their faith led them to do great exploits that could be described as obvious victory and triumph. And others by faith carried out great exploits that to the natural eye would look like apparent defeat. And they both did it by faith. Let me explain. Verses 32 to the first part of 35 says that, verses 32 to 35, it says that by faith, men and women enjoyed obvious triumph. Listen to what it says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the, the power of fire, escaped the edge of, so, of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection. They did all these things by faith. But that's not it. The next three verses show us another group of people who suffered tremendously and what would look like to the naked human eye defeat and they did it by faith as well. Verses 35 to 38 says some were tortured by faith, refusing to accept release so that they might rise to a better life. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. By faith. All these things by faith. So much for creating the future we want, right? (laughs) Faith trusts in the future God promises, which is way better than the future we could ever make. By faith, all these people in the, the, the obvious triumph, right? Conquering kingdoms and the apparent defeat, sawn in two. 
All of them lived by faith, and they lived for God's glory without receiving the fullness of God's promise. But they lived by faith, the kind of faith we want. uh, Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, he uh, talks about a time he and his wife visited Egypt. If I remember right, they had friends that were missionaries there. So they were visiting their friends there, and their friends took them to a grave site, and there was a tombstone with the name William Borden's on it, or Borden, I think. Anyone heard of William Borden? I haven't either. I think that's the point. William Borden was, uh, he was was alive from 1887 to 1913. He lived here in the United States, raised here in a wealthy family, graduated from Yale, um, inherited a ton of money, but instead of indulging in a life of affluency, he gave most of it away because he had a passion to take the gospel to the Muslims. So he gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions and went over to Egypt. And he labored zealously preaching the gospel there for four months and then contracted spinal meningitis and died. Randy Alcorn talks about how they dusted off this tombstone and along with talking about William Borden, his love for Christ, his love for the Muslims, his desire for them to know Christ and so forth. The, the end of the epitaph for William Borden says this. Let this be etched in your memory. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. He lived in such a way, he, he died in such a way that apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. And I would suggest that all the heroes of the faith that you know, have books written about them and all lived lives that don't make sense apart from faith in Christ. I read about Athanasius recently. He's alive in the third century and fourth century. And Athanasius was the, the tip of the spear in fighting against the, the Arian heresy. And... and And it looked like almost the entire church had rejected the the orthodox view of the Trinity and embraced this Arian heresy. And one of Athanasius' friends said, Athanasius, what are you doing? The whole world's against you. And Athanasius said something that's just so powerful. And he says, well then, Athanasius is against the world. He was someone who was convinced of the truth. It doesn't make any sense apart from true faith in Christ. Maybe you think of more modern people like Mary Slessor or Hudson Taylor. More modern, not real modern, but more modern. C.T. Studd, Amy Carmichael, and others. They all live lives that don't make any sense at all apart from faith in Christ. Now, Don't come to the conclusion that to live a life of faith in Christ will necessarily lead to notoriety and having books written about you. Of course, for 99.9% of us, that's not the way that it is. But the point is this, the only life that matters for eternity and that will receive the commendation of God, the approval of God and the rich 
eternal reward that awaits us is a life that's lived by faith. A life fueled by trust in the future God has promised and trust in the invisible Christ who's with us. And you are called to this kind of life, a life of faith right where you are right now. And whatever God has in the future, and he knows your future, you don't. Husbands and or dads, you are to lead your families by faith. Amen? Amen. Wives and mothers, and or mothers, I would say, and women, well, wives and mothers, you are to nurture your children and love them and teach them and raise them by faith. Single men and women, you are to live God-glorifying lives of purity and radical obedience to Christ by faith. Every one of us, we are called to speak to others about Christ by faith. We're to stand up for truth by faith. We're to resist the spirit of the age by faith. Some are called to start a business by faith and on and on and on and on. Is there any part of life that is to be lived not by faith? Not a single one. The Christian life is a life of faith. I said this earlier, that this faith is a divine gift, and it is. But that doesn't mean that you are to do nothing to strengthen it, or that you're not to seek God for it to be strengthened, or for it, maybe if you're like, I don't even have that. God uses means. So I I just wanna end here just briefly, talking about, here's what I want you to do this week. How can you strengthen faith. First, ask God. It's a good place to start. Ask God for strong faith. Ask God for faith. If you're here today and like, I don't even know if I've ever had that kind of faith. Ask God for it. It's a gift. Ask him for it. The Father loves to give good things to those who ask him, to his children. So ask him, and don't wait till you get home. Do it now. This is something I pray all the time. Lord, increase my faith. I remember the guy that Jesus, uh, one of his children, I think, was paralyzed or something. I don't know. And this guy asked the disciples, can, they couldn't, oh, he had seizures. And this guy asked the disciples, can you help him? And they couldn't. So he came to Jesus and says, if you can, you can make my son better. And he says, if I can. All things are possible to those that believe. And the guy answered the best possible way. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. A couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think. I'm not gonna say the name because I I didn't ask the person. I don't wanna embarrass them. But I had someone come up to me after church and say, I don't know if I'm a Christian. We sat and we just talked briefly. And I said, well, do you believe, you know, went through the gospel with them. And they said, I I think so, but I don't know. And I said, why don't you do this? Why don't we both do this this next week? Why don't you ask God to help you believe? And I'm gonna be praying that for you as well. 
And throughout the week, this person would come to mind and I would just pray, Lord, open their heart to believe, to trust you, to trust in Christ in a saving way if they've never done it. The following Sunday, this person ran to me and said, Josh, I'm a Christian. I believe. Something happened. I mean, God answers those prayers. Ask him for faith. Ask him for this kind of faith. This kind of faith that endures, that comes from him, which is the only kind of faith we want. Number two, immerse yourself in the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Fill your mind with gospel truths of God's promised future and present invisible realities until they become so real that there is the substance and conviction of them. I would say, you show me someone who is immersed in God's word, humble, digging for treasure, not just checking a box, but digging for treasure, and I will show you someone who is strong in faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Number three, be deeply connected with others. We need help from one another. Our faith is encouraged, strengthened with the help of others. It's interesting that Hebrews has the most amazing, some of the most amazing promises in the New Testament and some of the most stiff, severe warnings. And often the warnings are to those who shrink away or neglect or drift. And it seems to tie that drifting or neglecting to not gathering together with one another in encouragement. So be deeply connected with others. Give yourself to brothers and sisters who can encourage your faith. And number four, do whatever is in front of you by faith. Trusting in God's promised future for you and that Christ is with you, in you by his Holy Spirit. Launch out in courageous obedience, trusting in the glorious future God's promised. And I would even say this. Take God-glorifying risks by faith. I mean, that's what Abraham went to a place he didn't know. Noah started building an ark. By faith. Let's pray. Father, Father,